Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today's a special edition of Ask the CIO. We hear from Mark Bradley, the Director of the Information Security Oversight Office in the National Archives and Records Administration. I sat down with Mark in his Washington, D.C. office to discuss the ISOO's annual report to the president on the progress agencies are making in declassifying documents. Let's just start with the report. It's a new format this year. Maybe start there. It is. This is uh, an attempt by us to do what I think ISOO was meant to do, which is to make uh, key findings and key recommendations about uh, what all this is. Too often in the past, we were wedded too much, I think, to a narrative and not doing enough analyses about what the system was and, and what it uh, was meant to do. So I'm a former uh, Department of Justice lawyer, but also CIA officer, and I've tried to make this report more along the lines of what I learned in CIA, where a policymaker can look at it within two or three, four pages, get the essence of it, and then uh, have enough knowledge to know what we were reporting on instead of having to go through the entire uh, report. Let's start with some of that analysis. Uh, a lot of good information. Talk a little bit about what stood out to you. Talk a little bit about what were some of the highlights that came from the, the research and the, the analysis. The main thing is, is that we are at a pivot point in this system. And by that I mean we are uh, still very much in a paper-based world and we are moving more towards a digital world. And I worry about the systems being able to uh, keep up with that kind of pivot. I believe that for too long the classification, declassification system has been on autopilot, for lack of a better way to describe it. doesn't mean that people, uh, we don't have many good people working in this area and many people whose hearts are in the right place, but it's beginning to fall behind. And that's a worry, not only from the intelligence perspective, the counterintelligence perspective, we've got all this information coming in, but also from a uh, democracy standpoint, I'm a former legislative director for Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and uh, he was very concerned that we have an educated citizenry that trusts its government. And I think we need to be uh, you know, aware of that, that over the last several years, uh, certainly as of late, people seem to be losing more confidence in the government. And it's important for us to be able to get the information out that we can, declassify what we can, and to tell the people what we can about what the United States government is doing in the so-called shadow world. So it, in order to do that, we need a system that will be able to accommodate that. It's interesting you say that the, the, one of the highlights or one of the things that stood out to you is, is the, the danger of falling behind the paper world versus digital world. One may argue we've been in the digital world now for 15 years, 20 years. So where's the, where do you see the falling behind happening? Is it the managing of all that digital records or is it the old paper that we, we just can't keep up with? It's the latter. We, we have a, a huge legacy problem in the United States government. You know, the government's funny. It's cutting edge in so many ways. I mean, if you think about social policies and, and, and that, but... In technology, it, uh, it's trailing woefully behind. And, uh, you know, our, our systems are circa 1990 still. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you really wanted to stretch it in the early 2000s, but it's, it's not keeping pace with what's going on. I mean, after 9-11, one of the things that happened is we've had a deluge of, of information, especially classified information. I mean, we've got the Department of Homeland Security. We've got Office of Director of National Intelligence. We've got new entities that have been created. And we're creating more and more information all the time, but we don't have the systems to be able to to accommodate it. Talk maybe a little about what stood out to you in the report that proved that the agencies are falling behind, that the systems are, are not up to speed. Some of the statistics that we cite, I mean, if you look at, at something like uh, declassification, I mean, the rates are still woefully 
under what they should be. It's mostly because it's still a largely a hands-on system. It's a human system. We, we haven't yet reached the, the point yet where we can, can automate a lot of this and, and let machines do it. I'm not a Luddite, but I, I do appreciate the need for, for technology. I mean, the way it works now is if you have a document and agencies have equities in it, each agency has to see that. And so if we could somehow another load up the declassification guys from all these agencies and then let machines do it, it would be a lot, uh, a lot quicker, a lot more efficient, and a lot cheaper. One of the recommendations that your office makes in the report to the president is about technology modernization. Big push from the Trump administration around IT modernization. There's the Modernizing Government Technology Act, uh, Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act. I can go through all the different bills. There's memos. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about what kind of IT modernization you guys would be in favor of or, or think would be uh, helpful to kind of address this area that you're talking about, that, that the classification piece can't keep up. It sounds like artificial intelligence, machine learning, it sounds like automation, but maybe give me a little bit more. No, 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 that's exactly right. What we wanted to do with this report was to raise this issue. No one else, as far as we can tell, really is looking at it. And so we see this as a, as a government-wide problem. And I especially worry about what I call the haves and have-nots. There are some agencies who are, are wealthy compared to others. They are, are light years ahead of others. And they're moving on. And so, for instance, if, if Agency X is going to the cloud and Agency Y is still doing paper, we have a problem because we need to be able to share information to be able to protect this country. And the question is, how can we do that in the most efficient way? And so what we thought we would do is, is raise this to the level of the, of the White House and the National Security Council to say, hey, there's a problem. You know, we need a government-wide solution, not an agency solution, but a government-wide solution to this. We'd like to have more standardization. That understanding that some of these agencies are very nuanced what they do. I mean, CIA is quite a bit different than the Department of Veterans Affairs. Yet still, it seems to us there's enough common ground and enough need for modernization that it's, it's a government problem. It's almost like the 80-20 rule where 80% of what everyone does is basically the same. It's that 20% unique, so why not create the system or the shared service, for lack of a better word, that can address that 80% rule, and then when agencies need to modernize, they only really need to modernize that 20%. I'm simplifying it, but is that where you guys are getting to? I, th I think that's, that's basically right. I mean, uh, again, we want to be able to make sure that, that the information is to those who need it, who have a need to have it, can actually get it and, and, and share it. And, and, and so that means having the systems to be able to do that. And if one agency is operating in the cloud and another one's operating in a system that's built in the 1990s, that's going to be one huge problem in how they share that, not to mention to protect it, too, because the agency in the clouds maybe is going to have some questions about how well the agency in the, in working in the 90s technology can protect the information. So this is, a, again, it, it's no matter how far ahead you might be, if your brother or sister agency is not up there, you've got a problem yourself. Do you see that this is a problem in the civilian world more than the Intel DOD world, or is it equal? It's the old adage, and it's follow the money. Who's got it? Who's got the money? These days, it's Department of Defense. It's, it's the intelligence community. I mean, so it would be helpful if those agencies could take some of the leads in this and actually share more about what they're doing and, and their innovations, so we could we could take more advantage of that. Again, I mean, the, the CIA and, and DOD and, and that ilk, I mean, they're driven by their missions to, to try to keep up. I mean, they've got some very serious adversaries snapping at their heels, uh, the Russians and the Chinese, among others. And so they've got to be at least as good as their adversaries and hopefully a lot better. So they're, they're forced to innovate and for, forced to 
to do it, but they also, uh, at least the Department of Defense, I mean, has the money to do it. So uh, again, it, it's a question of, of, okay, if CIA wants to share information with another agency, is that agency up to up to the same level? The answer is no. And you're getting beyond just sharing data, but sharing systems, techniques, policies, the, the, the approaches to this. What kind of reaction, when you bring this up to your bosses, your, the people at the National Security Council, the White House, whomever, do they understand that, yes, this is a problem, or is it still not on their radar enough? And that's why maybe the report highlights it in, in a yeah. bigger way. I mean, we are, 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 are waiting for, for the re reaction to, to all that. I mean, we think that our job at ISOO is to tee it up and to frame it. As I said before, we're one of the very few, if not the only ones in the government, who are actually looking at this writ large. And so we are standing by for uh, marching orders, and hopefully they'll be coming. One of the things that comes from this report is this idea of, of self-reporting. Agencies are saying, here's how we are doing, meeting certain goals of executive orders, of policies, of laws. Is that where you also see the lack of modernization? Because, as you said, the statistics of, for instance, declassification has taken so much longer than maybe many think it should or would. One of the issues an agency will tell you is, is there no separate line item for something like declassification? It comes out of the main budget. So, you know, it's, it, it's this kind of changing culture we, we've got to do. We've got to tell these agencies, or these agencies have to buy into the fact that this actually is part of their mission, too. And, and by that, I mean it is not good to have the American people lose confidence in what you're doing or not to trust you. We have to take a break. My guest today is Mark Bradley, the director of the Information Security Oversight Office in the National Archives and Records Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mark Bradley, the director of the Information Security Oversight Office in the National Archives and Records Administration. Today, we're talking about the ISOO's annual report to the president on the progress agencies are making in declassifying documents. Mark, one of the things that stood out to me in, in your report is this the need for a line item budget. But at the same time, you also do some cost estimates. So on one hand, agencies don't have this line item. You, you guys say this would be helpful. But on the other hand, you're saying they're, they're giving you their cost estimate. So nobody really knows what this is costing them. That's what I get from the report. How do you read it? That's right. I mean, what we, what we have in the report is what we, we believe is an accurate ballpark estimate. The question is how long are, are the, or, or how deep are the, is the outfield in this? And we're at Fenway or are we at uh, Tiger Stadium? So, I mean, it's a matter of measuring that. We rely on the agencies to tell us uh, what the costs are. We need to do, and what we are, are working on here at ISU is trying to get uh, deeper into the costs. We do have agencies moving to the cloud, yet we have other ones who still have a lock and key safe. So where are we on this? Time we started asking more questions about exactly what this is. How do you benchmark costs? You guys at ISO also know that the costs are a little squishy. What we're going to do is we're going to start uh, hopefully meeting with the comptrollers themselves and actually asking them, I mean, your figures, I mean, we've been getting them for years. Can you please sit down and break them down for us so we can, can better understand you know, what we're looking at? Because it's interesting that they say, stay fairly consistent over the years, yet the, the information is growing. So how can, <laughs> how can that be? So there, there, there are simple questions uh, that we can ask, but, but again, you know, we, we need to drill down deeper because if we're asking for more money for this, we need to have an accurate cost to be able to point to, or at least more accurate than I think what we have. Again, what's in the report is not inaccurate because it's coming from the agencies, but 
I'm not sure I'd want to raise my right hand and swear in front of Congress that these, these numbers are, uh, are ironclad. Very good. Now, one of the other things uh, I want to move over to is controlled unclassified information, CUI. One of the things that stood out to me is this was a, an executive order going back to the Bush administration where it's saying to agencies, you need to do a better job of, of classifying and declassifying and understanding what data you have. Uh, it used to be sensitive but unclassified. It used to be a several different mo monikers. Now it's, let's get to one. And the report seems to highlight the fact that agencies are just struggling. And g give me a sense of why they're struggling and what surprised you about what you learned. This move goes back to um, the administration of George W. Bush. So we're in our third administration now with this program. And it, you know, the way to think about CUI, I think, is to think about it as another 9-11 innovation. And the idea was, was to share as much information as we could because the markings were all over the place. I mean, one agency would market F-O-U-O, -O, another one would market, you know, sensitive. Nobody knew what to do with the stuff once they got it. So on paper, CUI made a lot of sense. We're, we are now in the implementation stage, and we have an existing executive order. We have an existing rule. We are going ahead with the program. It's interesting, as we go through it, there are challenges. I mean, I don't think anybody knew the this scale and the scope of how much sensitive information the U.S. government even had and, and where it was stored. So it's already had a salutary effect, at least in one way, and that's making these agencies actually find what, <laughs> find what this information is and how much they've got. The problem of it is, again, it's a, it's a huge vat of information. And another problem has been, you know, the one-size-fits-all. I mean, again, on paper, that sounds good, yet CIA is quite a bit different than Veterans Affairs different type of information that they're, they're handling. And, and so some agencies will tell you it's too expensive. Some agencies will tell you they don't need it. They're protecting it already. Others are desperate to have something. We do know this, that, that the sensitive unclassified information is a major target of our, our adversaries. So the U.S. government needs to find a way to corral that information, make sure it's being adequately protected, but also being shared. And right now, I mean, we have an executive order that, uh, that does that. And, and so, like any new program, you've got resistance. Some of it's cultural, some of it's economic. Nobody really knows what it's going to cost, or they'll tell you that. And so, uh, we are very much uh, interested in getting the program up and running and, and, and getting it going on, on, on all cylinders. And so, that's why we asked the White House, like, this is now in our third administration, could somebody please stand up and say, uh, hey, executive order, please follow it. When you meet with agencies, when, when your office is outside of the report, but or doing the reporting effort, the analysis, does this come up? Does the COI issue come up? And, and as you said, some are m more for it and some are not against it, but just say, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the energy. But they understand the value of it, or is this still people questioning the value and why do I have to do this? Do you, do you get that question? Not in, in such Manichaean terms. It, it, it's more in, in the sense that I'm already protecting it that I'm already, I've already, I'm already doing it. So I don't need another system grafted on, onto it. And so I think everybody in the government understands that this information needs to be protected and that it's of great value to our adversaries. They would just tell you that they don't need this particular program to do it. And so that, I think that, that that's where the rubber hits the road. It sounds like that's why you guys are making the recommendation that the White House should maybe come down 
a little more aggressive or kind of reiterate the importance of this to get people kind of back on the right path down down this. Were you surprised by any of the findings around the CUI, meaning senior agency official, the fact that the implementation people are still moving into 2018 and 2019? Is there anything that you would highlight that maybe stands out to you from, from the CUI analysis? You know, I, I think you, you hit the, the, the nail on the head. I mean, uh, some agencies have been very slow to do it, and, and you know, there, there were rumors that they hoped this administration would kill it. Uh, I know that that could have been one reason. It's just difficult to know. Again, given the fact that we have an existing executive order, given the fact that we have adversaries targeting this, this information, I think it's, it's in the interest of the United States to get on board of this program. Again, as it's being implemented, this office is the executive agent for the CUI program, and I am more than interested in hearing about problems that people are having implementing it. I mean, if we need to, to do some fixing, we can do that. What I don't want is people lying down, laying down their shovels and saying, you know, I'm not going to play. No, this is an executive order signed by the President of the United States. So as long as that order is in effect, it is the law, and it needs to be followed. You mentioned a couple times adversaries targeting sensitive but unclassified or controlled unclassified information. And I don't know if this gets into sensitivities as well, but are you able to maybe give me a broad why? Is it, is it this idea that getting to secret and top secret information or, or the top secret compartmentalized is so difficult that if they could grab a bunch of these less sensitive, they could use the mosaic effect, if you will, and, and understand more about what's happening. Can you talk maybe through that a little bit? Just very generally. Obviously, I don't want to get, get into specifics, but we have a lot of, of, of sensitive technology out there that, that can be scooped up, and if you get enough of it, it can be extraordinarily damaging to the United States, and, and we know that because it's being taken. And so, you know, we are trying to come up with a system that at least gives us some, some safeguards because this material is too valuable to be taken. And, and you may be right. I mean, it, it could be that, that we've hardened our other information up, yet they've found a, a, a whole cornucopia of it somewhere else, and they don't need to, to worry about running it through a top-secret uh, system anymore. They can, they can get it from a, an unclassified system. From the ISO perspective, what comes next for you guys? The report's out, you take a breath, but now you start doing what with it? You start briefing, but, but what are, what are your to do, what's on your to-do list from this report as well? So two questions in there. Right. I mean, what happens is I take, or ISO takes its marching orders from the National Security Council. So the report has been sent, and we are waiting to hear from them. Internally, I want us to begin to seriously reexamine our own practices. And by that, I, I mean we, too, uh, like the rest of the IC and, and, and the federal government, uh, to make sure that we're doing the right things, collecting information that's actually useful, collecting information that makes sense, and collecting information that's not a huge burden on the agencies because it's nice to have but not what we, we, we need to have. So what we're going to be doing is, is not taking a knee, but we're going to be doing a lot of reassessing in here. So I expect to report next year be a bit slimmer because we're going to actually try to target some precise things to collect on. And again, things such as the costs and, and some of these, these squishier figures we need to, to run down. It's going to take a while for us to be able to do that. We want to be able to do it correctly. So we'll be doing, I hope, a lot of face-to-face -face meetings with agency senior officials to actually ask them some hard questions. And as you know, in the report, industry, there are, there are a lot of people in industry who have security clearances who handle U.S. government, uh, government information. So obviously we're, we're working with our, our
our friends in, in industry too. But yeah, I, I see this as it's a big enough problem. <laughs> One, it needs to be a collaborative effort, and two, it needs to bring the best minds in the country to bear on it. Very good. Uh, Mark Bradley is the director of the Information Security Oversight Office at the National Archives and Records Administration. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time today. My pleasure, and thank you for your interest in us. We have to take a break. In the final two segments of the show, I'll talk to Sean McCarthy, the research director for IDC Government Insights, about his new report on federal technology spending called A Call for Change moderate federal IT spending growth masks the ongoing burden of legacy systems. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, we shift gears to talk IT spending. My guest is Sean McCarthy, the research director for IDC Government Insights. Today, he's talking about his new report on federal technology spending, a call for change, moderate federal IT spending growth masks the ongoing burden of legacy systems. Give mm -hmm. us a, the top level view. What did you guys find? What's, what's different this time or what did it reinforce? For the past probably 10 years, I've issued a spending forecast for federal agencies split into two reports, one for federal civilian, one for DOD. And um, what we found obviously is that Legacy systems have been eating up a good chunk of the federal IT budget for most of that time. And by a good chunk, let's go back 10 years, it was probably two-thirds legacy system spending and about one-third you know, modernization, enhancement, development, that sort of thing. Um, what we found, though, is over the years that's dropped, and it's much closer to just, well, I'm going to say about 20, 21 percent is going into new systems now. So that means the remainder ha is going into legacy systems, which is one of the highest percentages I've ever seen. Now, there could be a couple of reasons for that. One is we know legacy systems are you know, increasingly expensive to maintain, but two is the spending on new systems actually has become more efficient as people have moved to cloud, you know, as people have learned how to develop systems that have multiple purposes. They go to, you know, they go to mobile devices, they go to PC devices, et cetera. So less money needs to be spent on new development at this point. So that may have something to do with the fact that less money is going into new development. But I think that should also tell us the story of if it costs less to develop new, and costs a little bit less to maintain for the first few years, you know, why aren't we moving more things off of the legacy platform to, you know, newer systems? Now, obviously, that comes with its own weight. Moving an older system isn't just about the cost of the hardware and the software. The Moving the old system often means business process reengineering, re-architecting the way the system is built, redoing code that has, you know, not been touched in some cases for years. So the cost of migration can sometimes be as much as the cost of just maintaining that old system. But when you start seeing older systems eating up as much of the IT budget as we're seeing now, it really starts to send up a, uh, well, if not a red flag, at least a yellow flag at this point saying, you know what, it's time to start digging in and doing a little bit more of a return on investment analysis for migrating some of these older expensive systems. So we tell some of our government clients, look, spend the time here. Look at your top five systems at your department, the top five most expensive. And, you know, do so, whatever you have to do, even if it's hiring an accounting firm, come in and say, look, how much would it cost if we were to go greenfield, you know, total rip and replace? And, um, 
it will be expensive. But when you look at what the legacy system is costing you two, three, four years down the road, we have seen most of these able to pay themselves off in about a two, three-year period. So I think it's definitely worth having that conversation. And I think the CFO of your agency needs to be part of that conversation. Now, it's interesting that legacy has, you know, we always hear from OMB that legacy has, you know, inched up, inched down, kind of, you know, 60, you said 66% about 10 years ago, 71, yeah, yeah. 72%. And now it's pushing almost 80%. Did you find anything that stood out to you as, as you looked at as, as, as not just the why, but is it? Are there certain agencies that are this is being effective affected more than others? Are you seeing any trends from when you talk about legacy spending? Is it mostly on hardware side? Is it on the application side? And any of those trends stick out? Well, interesting. The hardware side has gone down for for good reasons. The hardware costs overall, you know, have always kind of eroded slowly, and people are buying less hardware. Um, you know, if, if you're going to launch a new system right now, you're probably going to do it in the cloud. And so you're not going to be buying hardware outright. You're going to be, you know, leasing the cloud space. Other things have kind of flatlined. The The price of a PC, you know, the PCs keep getting more powerful, not necessarily more expensive. So, you know, certainly a an 800 to a, you know, $1,200 PC is still kind of a standard around government, but the power of that PC is huge. We're finding uh, less going into tablets, surprisingly, although that's different at the local level. Local government's spending more on tablets because they have more people in the field, inspectors, things like that. And an awful lot going into networking equipment. So uh, one of the reasons is, well, when you have more people getting stuff from the cloud, you have more data traversing your network. You know, as people move to Microsoft, you know, 365 or, you know, getting some of their other stuff, you're just interacting across the network a lot more rather than your C drive. Now, the other part of that is that, you know, data itself, big data is pouring more data into your systems, more video, more things like that. So I think the uh, the real spike that we're seeing right now is going to be network equipment for the next few years. And we know that GSA is pushing out with the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract to really not only modernize networks but bring down the costs. I don't know how far ahead you look forward, but do you get a sense that this is a, a spike and we've hit the top and then we're going to see the, those uh, legacy costs starting to come down as things like EIS, things like the IT modernization push from the, the Trump administration really starts to take hold in the next two, three, four years? Well, interesting. I, I see the spending kind of spiking for 2019 and then kind of leveling off again. So percentage of growth, which is normally about 1% or 2%, I think is going to be a little bit higher at that point. Why? Because we're, we're seeing a few things. One is those people who have sort of been dragging their feet and not moving to cloud are finally making that, um, making that transition. So we're seeing that. We're also seeing, again, we talked about the network equipments. We're talking about rip and replace of some older PCs at some large agencies. So there's some of those things cause a temporary spike, but not a huge thing uh, going on, huge you know, difference. Also, in the background, you've got DCOI going on. You're having to merge data centers represents some upfront costs. So we've, we've seen some of that going on, you know, for the very reasons we talked about why it's expensive to get rid of older legacy systems, it's also expensive to merge data centers. So, you know, the, just having to, you know, change some APIs, change some data field names, redo the system, upgrade the, the OS if you are still maintaining your own servers, all that costs money up front. So again, that's, we're seeing a little bit of spike associated with that. And just to be 
clear when you're talking about the spike in spending on O and M versus DME or overall spending, you're gonna you expect to see a spike. Uh, that would be actually overall spending, um, not just data center spending. Data center spending is part of that, but we're seeing some spending in other areas. And, and some of it's associated, you know, you've got, think of, um, you know, some of the big enterprise applications that are located in data centers. Again, when you're migrating and merging parts of data centers, that's all going to be affected. Some other data that maybe stood out to you from, from your research, was there any agencies you looked at specifically or any other specific areas of, of O&M spending that really stood out? Networking is a good one, data center consolidation, anything else? For new development, interestingly, Veterans Affairs was a little bit on the high side for that at um, about 1.6 to $1.6.5 billion for ongoing operations and maintenance. Surprisingly, um, the highest right now is Department of Homeland Security. And I think one of the reasons you're seeing that is that you know, there was a lot of new development at Homeland Security back several years ago, and a lot of that just sort of entered ongoing maintenance mode. So you're seeing the, the ongoing operations and maintenance for that is uh, fairly high compared to some other agencies, but that's not a bad thing necessarily. You do want your systems to last for a while. One thing that's unclear to me, and I would love to be able to talk to someone at OMB more about this, is when they make the transition from new development to ongoing. In other words, if I'm building a new system this year, that's new development. Does it immediately drop into maintenance and operations in year two? Or is it still considered a new system for two or three years and then it drops into uh, you know, ongoing operations and maintenance? Maybe you've heard something. I'd love to hear about that. If not, you know, maybe somebody from OMB could contact one of us and give us the specifics on that because it's always been a little bit of a gray area to me. And I think part of the, the challenge is that what happens if you have an O&M system, right, a, a legacy system that you do a little bit of new stuff, that issue has is, is come and gone in, in quite a bit. And I think I've written about this over the years where it's not just shadow IT, but the, the definitional issue of what is O&M yes, yes. And, and what is DME. Talk, talk maybe how did you guys handle that? I kind of have in the back of my mind about a three-year window. You know, you, you develop it and it's never perfect the first year. You're still sort of developing it the second year. And then the third year is kind of a transitional area. And again, when I have asked people in agencies if that really is the way they look at it too, I don't get a consistent answer. And I think really it comes down to I need to talk to somebody who's the, the deep number cruncher way in the middle of uh, OMB and say, how do you? Because, you know, a lot of these numbers come through them. How do you guys count, you know? Uh, maintenance and operations versus new, versus new development. And what I worry about is that they leave it up to the people who are filing, you know, individual agency reports every year, which means there's probably some inconsistencies in that number. We have to take a break. My guest is Sean McCarthy, the research director for IDC Government Insights. Today, he's talking about his new report on federal technology spending, a call for change, moderate federal IT spending growth masks the ongoing burden of legacy systems. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. 
My guest is Sean McCarthy, the research director for IDC Government Insights. One of the things about this discussion around O&M versus DME is the big push from IT modernization. When would you foresee that having a real impact on these numbers? There's probably always some sort of lag. Am I correct? I, I think so, yeah. And I think a lot of the, I'm going to call it, um, you know, digital transformation now instead of just, uh, you know, ongoing maintenance and operations versus new development. Because some, and I, and I wish I had a good way to track these numbers that go strictly into DM. And I think we're going to get there, but I think it's going to mean a lot more surveys on, on the part of us here at IDC to try to uh, tease that out because that's not the way the government looks at it. But when uh, talking digital transformation, you're looking at the ability to kind of digitize everything, right down to every light switch, you know, uh, every piece of equipment that can be plugged into the network could be in order to give IT managers a larger view of what's happening in their organization. So think of it, and I think smart cities and what some of the smart city operations are doing is a great example of how it could be done, where you've got sensors and roadways, uh, parking meters and networked, traffic signals and traffic lights, police cameras, etc. You know, that's real digital transformation when you're taking information and automatically bringing it into your system and building new applications around that. And I think the federal government has a great ability to do that. I think they're scratching the surface on that with the uh, DCOI effort because as part of that, they're demanding, you know, monitoring of energy consumption, uh, monitoring everything right down to the OS level. So you can say, oh, you know, 10 of our machines are running an older version of OS and everything else is, uh, has been upgraded. So being able to have that level of information that is automatically generated for you is an important part of digital transformation. And um, But the investment needs to be made in order to build that sort of set of you know, solution set and to, you know, hopefully save money in the long run by having that. And I think that's the key is, you know, that's where this MGT Act comes in, this idea of the working capital funds and the technology modernization fund. Uh, it's interesting mm -hmm. you bring up the fact that agencies have seen when they have moved from legacy to new, they, they get paid back. That, to me, that message doesn't seem as clear as maybe it, it could be or it needs to be. When you talk to agencies, when you do your research, do they understand that that payback is real or do they just say, oh, it's just cost avoidance, we'll never see that money again? <laughs> I, I, the latter for now. I think with the, you know, the, the modernization fund and the way it's set up that the agencies can get you know, and enjoy part and in some cases all of that money, it gives them a, a better carrot and, you know, in order to follow and try to, to say, hey, look, you know, we should be doing this because we can benefit in the long run. Now, the problem with the technology modernization fund is it, it wasn't a deep enough bucket, really. You know, um, it was pretty easy to run through that money quickly. And but I think there is success to it. It, it is highly likely to continue, from everything that I've heard, and will likely to be larger next year. And in fact, I think there has been some dollar amounts floated. The trouble is, it could probably be you know three or four times as large as it is, and still have you know a good impact. Sean, we brought up the Modernization Technology, the MGT Act, and the Technology Modernization Fund. We know that the TMF Fund. Board made three awards recently uh, over the summer to 
HUD to USDA to Energy Department. And one of the things that stood out in the reporting that I've done over the over the course of the last few months is a lot of agencies were worried about applying for that extra funding because they couldn't necessarily make the payback. The payback model is difficult. You, you looked at that issue, that, that challenge of, of can agencies say, hey, if I stop spending here, I can take the money that I was spending and apply it to other things, the saving money to spend money challenge. Talk maybe a little bit about what you're seeing, what you hear from agencies when it comes to do they understand what the real ROI is to get off legacy? We have talked to agencies about that saying, you know, hey, you need to upgrade this legacy system. You know, have you been able to do a return on investment analysis to say that we should go in this other direction? And um, what we found is that there's sometimes, I won't call it a reluctance, but a an understanding that ROI in government is not as simple as ROI in, let's say, a manufacturer. Manufacturer knows if they upgrade, you know, machine X, they're going to have more output, they're going to make more money, it's going to pay for itself in a year. In government, you know, um, it, it, sometimes there is a reluctance because um, it can be difficult to understand what all the costs are involved with the system. There are times when there are people involved in a system that maybe don't report directly to the person trying to do the ROI analysis. So it becomes difficult for them to say, oh, we're going to eliminate this salary or, you know, we're going to be able to cut our machine costs by X, especially if it's a shared service. So because of that complexity, I sometimes see a reluctance in government agencies to say, hey, you know, let's do this. Let's call this our potential cost savings. Um, so, and then the other thing is, well, what do we do with the staff? Sometimes it's difficult if you eliminate a staff position to say, you know, that's definitely going to be saved uh, because that staff person may, you know, need to be for whatever reason, whether it's union, whether it's anything else, reassigned to some other project. So with that in mind, we still say to the agencies, you know what, you should try. You know, sometimes it means bringing in a uh, an external consultant, you know, a CPA or something like that, and help go through and make the argument that if we consolidate these systems, cut these costs, et cetera, we have the potential for cost savings. And, you know, CIOs and government auditors and that need to understand that this is a kind of a squishy area. And, you know, the more they hold project managers' feet to the fire of saying, you need to get this perfect, you need to, you know, it, it, it makes them reluctant to jump in and participate immediately. So that's some of the things that we've seen that are affecting uh, how government measures these sorts of things. And one of the things when you talk about this idea of measuring, there's no baseline. Is that probably the hardest piece is what's the baseline? Because the baseline, one, they've never done it before, but two, they, they're mm -hmm. starting, it, it's all encompassing. Through the uh, data center you know, optimization initiative, Agencies are finding better tools to go out there, and you know, whether it's you know, a company like Enlight or some of these others, that will automatically map, set up ways to measure, create you know, executive dashboards, and say, yeah, here's what you're spending today. So having that stake in the ground is a little less difficult than it was five, six years ago. But the other issue when it comes to you know, pure ROI analysis is that public sector ways of measuring have to be different. I mean, the, the best way to save money on a system is to just shut it down. But that's not what government systems are for. They're providing certain citizen services that were deemed necessary by Congress or by whomever and funded because there was a perceived citizen value to them. 
So you can't just shut it down and say, oh, you know, oh look at that, we saved you know $5 million. So being able to boost citizen services a bit, boost system performance a bit, you know, being able to say, oh, by doing this, we, uh, you know, we, we boosted the response time from the system from, you know, 30 seconds down to two seconds, and we're saving X number of man hours. So you need to be a little bit more creative, as, you know, when you're measuring public sector ROI. Based on your research, Sean, uh, any any advice, any ideas of, you know, I like to the, the pick five systems and five most expensive systems and start there. Other mm-hmm. advice you'd give to agencies to kind of get started to get off this legacy train? Well, the other thing is anytime you can do something that's sort of dual purpose, it helps. And you know, dual purpose may vary by agency, but let's say, hey, you need to get off of a legacy system. And you need to, uh, you know, develop better solutions for handheld devices that your employees are going to use either in the building or outside, et cetera. Because a lot of times they have uh, a whole bunch of things they're trying to accomplish at once. So ask yourself, you know, by replatforming, can I hit several of these at once? You know, if I was to move to a major cloud provider, what could their partner ecosystem give me? where I could, you know, hit several of these high points at once, where I could, you know, save by going to cloud. Um, I could also improve my access control because I'm getting that from the cloud, too, at the same time. And I'm, you know, now going to tap into a set of applications, since it's hosted there, that is already set up for multi-device viewing and things like that. Sometimes you can really stack some of your deliverables on top of each other as you're making your plans to uh, to replatform. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from Sean McCarthy, the re- Research Director for IDC Government Insights. He told me about his new report on federal technology spending, a call for change, moderate federal IT spending growth masks the ongoing burden of legacy systems. And earlier in the show, you heard from Mark Bradley, the Director of the Information Security Oversight Office in the National Archives and Records Administration. Bradley discussed the ISOO's annual report to the President on progress agencies are making in declassifying documents. I'm Jason Miller, and tune in next week when I talk with the Defense Logistics Agency about their IT modernization strategy and how they're using data to secure the supply chain. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 